Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. And so now, Lord, we ask You to make Your Word blossom in our hearts and minds, to understand it and not to fail to Obey and apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. In our study so far through the book of 1 Peter, these last few weeks especially, we have zeroed in together on Peter's emphasis here in this text. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11 through 11, on living life as a Christian. Living life as a Christian in the midst of a world that is actually in opposition to God and that is, is, is opposed to those who are Christians. There really isn't any time to waste in this, friends. We have no time to waste in living the Christian life. It's not as if you can say, you know what, I'll do that tomorrow. There's really not an opportunity for us to say, yeah, I'll hear this and then maybe I'll get around to it because we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. We, we've spent enough of our lifetime in doing ungodly things, the time is right now. But not only have we spent enough time in the past doing ungodly things, but listen, the end of all things is at hand. The the, the completion of everything is at hand. We don't have any time. We don't have any time. I appreciate hearing from a, an older saint recently who said, listen, I'll be honest with you, Pastor. I don't have much time left. You've got to put me to work now. The end of all things is at hand. If we're to live as Christians in this present world, at the end of all things, when the, when the end of all things is at hand, you and I have got to change the way we not just act, but the way we think. And that really is the primary emphasis that Peter has in this text. The the, the main verb, the the thing that's receiving all of the emphasis in this text is right there at the beginning in verse 7, be self-controlled and sober-minded. It's an issue of your mind. Peter is not just aiming at our heart, he's aiming at our mind. He's aiming at changing the way that you and I think. He's saying that we must be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the other option? Well, the other option is that we could be under the control of our heart, which is never a good thing. Do not do what your heart says to do. The worst advice possible is for someone to say, you do you. Or you could be under the influence of worldly thinking. Fleshly thinking or worldly thinking. And this particular, the the way we think, Peter's saying, is particularly 
related to the way that you live in these three areas. In praying, in loving, and in serving. Those are the ways that Peter highlights as ways that we can live the Christian life in these last days. And it was to the issue of, of, of the Christian life, particularly to the issue of Christian love, that we came last time. And I thought that this time we'd probably move on. But this week I pulled the emergency break in my study and we're going to take a little bit more of a time to think about Christian love. And we don't want to go too quickly through 1 Peter. We've been rushing through these last year, this last year. And so uh, we're not going to move on to the issue of Christian serving yet. I, I want us to take one more week to visit again the particular application of love in the Christian life. And and the reason I want to do that is perhaps is, is because perhaps more than any other issue, perhaps more than any other subject, the subject of love is misunderstood and misapplied in these days, in these last days, even by Christians who unfortunately seem to be more influenced by fleshly and worldly thinking than by the Word of God. We're more influenced by the theologian named Tina Turner who said love is just a secondhand emotion. And we treat it as such. For those of you who have no idea who I'm talking about, don't worry. It was in 1975 that the Scottish band Nazareth popularized a song that was first uh, recorded by the Everly Brothers back in 1960. I'm really communicating well with you now, I can see. (laughs) And that song, the lyrics of that song really revealed, I think, the reason I'm telling you about it is because I, I think it revealed the confusion in the world around the subject of love. Listen to what the lyric said. Some fools rave of happiness, blissfulness, togetherness. Some fools fool themselves, I guess, but they're not fooling me. I know it isn't true. I know it isn't true. Love is just a lie made to make you blue. Love hurts. Love hurts. Love, however, in the most glorious, in the most biblical sense, you you know in the Bible, love is never defined It's only ever described. And love in the most glorious, the the, the most biblical sense, is really an imitation of God, who is love. In other words, to talk about love absent from a revelation, the authoritative revelation of who God is in the Word, is not to talk about anything. Love is inseparable from the holiness of God. Love is inseparable from the purity of God. Love is inseparable from the truth and faithfulness of God and all of the other attributes of God. You can't separate out love and talk about love as as a singular thing. Love, true love, is not a lie because God is not a lie. Love is not simply an emotion and it's certainly not a secondhand emotion. It is... It is an attribute of God. And so when Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 4, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, what he's actually doing is he's calling us to imitate the character of God as he's revealed to us infallibly in the Word. And there is an intensity that is required in this love 
which really matches the governing verbs, as I said in this text, of being self-controlled and sober-minded. In other words, you've you, you got to be all in in imitating the love of God. You've you, 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 you got to be serious about this God-imitating love. There's an intensity, there's a fervency, there's an earnestness that is required. But not only that, as we observed last time, there's forgiveness that is required. Love covers a multitude of sin, but lack of love is both the root and fruit of all bitterness and hatred and envy and strife and anger, which what that actually does then is it holds sin as a basis for lashing out to hurt someone else. It holds their offense against you as a reason for you, as a rationalization for you to to lash out and hurt them. But again, love can't be separated from who God is, and so you can't separate out and say that I'm just not going to forgive. I'll love everybody, but I'm not going to forgive. I don't need to forgive this person. But I want to, I don't want to leave this, this, this consideration of love without camping for a few moments at least on verse 9. Just five words in the original language in verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The reason I don't want to leave that is because you have to remember that in the context, what you see here in verse 9 is just a continuation of Peter's call to a last days kind of love. Love is described in terms here of what we would call hospitality. So today, I want to talk to you about not just Christian living, but I want to talk to you about Christian or biblical hospitality. I want us to consider a command in the Scripture. The command is to biblical hospitality, and I want to make three notes about biblical hospitality. Okay? First, we're going to get a definition for it. Secondly, we're going to note some objectives of it. And then third, we're going to get some instructions to it. So definition, objective, and instruction. What is not just hospitality, but what is Christian hospitality? What is biblical hospitality? Why does this come up in a in a context of talking about something that's important in the latter days, in the last days. This is something really, really important to you. You better get it right. Time's running out. You'd think he's only going to talk about things that are really, really important. And how does hospitality make the list? Peter says, show hospitality to one another. Peter says, show hospitality to one another. Literally, that phrase show hospitality translates one word it just means love strangers i want to tell you about this word stranger before you get some kind of wrong thinking about this it's most basically referring to a stranger in terms of someone who does not live in your home someone who's not part of your family someone who's not part of your home one who is not a resident of your home it's not simply someone you don't know But in the way that Peter's using it here, he's speaking of someone who does not reside in your home. Paul used this term when he was visiting the Isle of Malta. Listen to what he said in Acts 28. Acts 28, 7, he said this. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, 
who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. He received us. He he cared for us. He treated us as guests for three days. Now think about what Peter says again here. 1 Peter 4, 9. Peter says, show hospitality to one another. It's interesting. That one another is referring to one of the same kind. In other words, in Peter's mind, he's speaking specifically here of hospitality towards other Christians. We might say that hospitality then, in this context, is the application of godliness toward another, toward other believers whom you welcome into your home and life. I think the most succinct and best definition of of hospitality I heard this week is this. It is turning strangers into welcome guests. That's hospitality. Turning strangers into welcome guests. Now, in the rest of Scripture, hospitality isn't always limited just to the, the, the relationship that we have with other Christians. But Peter specifically is speaking here of hospitality to other believers. The rest of Scripture, often hospitality extends to anyone in our sphere of influence. Hospitality, turning strangers into guests. Now, are you hospitable? Well, some of us would be a little iffy on that because our tendency is to think of hospitality as a spiritual gift as opposed to a spiritual responsibility. So we might say something like, I don't have the gift of hospitality. So we expect that uh, there are some who have that gift, a supernatural enabling, and some who don't have that gift, who don't have that supernatural enabling. But throughout the Scriptures, the practice of hospitality is not something that's spoken of in terms of a gift. It's actually an expected characteristic of the Christian life. In other words, hospitality, when it comes to a Christian, is not a mere suggestion as if, hey, that will be a good idea sometime for you to to think about, but it's actually the natural outcome of Christian living. So you might be tempted to think, oh, I don't have the gift of, of hospitality. I don't have the calling to be hospitable because I'm not gifted. I'm not gifted internally. I'm not gifted externally. You might think, this is just reality. Some of you might think you can't be hospitable because you're just a natural introvert. Really, really uncomfortable around people. And it's and I'm kind of socially awkward around people. I'm just uncomfortable around people. So because of the way I am, I cannot be In parentheses, I will not be hospitable. Or you might think that you can't be hospitable because of issues externally. That is to say, you think your home is too small. Your home is too sparsely apportioned. I cannot be hospitable. Listen, hospitality is determined not by the size of your home, but your heart. Beware of thinking that your ability to be hospitable is determined by what is in your cupboards. Someone who has written a lot about this is a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. Some of you have read her 
Um, what is that? The gospel comes with a house key, right? Listen to what she said. God commands all Christians to practice hospitality, and there's no question that some people just enjoy it more than others. But we're not just called to work from our gifts. Biblically speaking, working from your weakness is often more blessed by God than working from your strengths, which you can often do in your flesh, which steals glory from God. We might say, the more unqualified you are, humanly speaking, to be hospitable, the more divinely qualified you are. How many times, I was thinking about this, how many times I have experienced the blessedness of Christian hospitality in a thatched roof, mud hut in the middle of Uganda. As I went, I was welcomed as a guest, even unannounced. I go into that home only to have the only chair given to me while everyone else sits around me on the floor and looks at me through eyes that communicated that I might as well have been the only other human being in the world. And that's the idea of hospitality. And I'll tell you where that comes from. That does not come from, from some class that you take. It doesn't come from a checklist that you keep. It comes from your theology. From a theology that understands that God has welcomed you in Christ as as a well-pleasing, well-deserving part of His family such that He looks at you with longing eyes, as it were, so happy and joyful to have you as part of the family, which is why Paul said it to the Romans in Romans chapter 15, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. I, I wonder if we really thought about our welcome into the family of God as being joyful on the part of God. Don't forget the story of the parable, of the, the, the parable of the, the lost son, the prodigal son. Remember what the father did? What does the father do when, when the son returns? He immediately begins shouting instructions, not to his son, but to his servants to prepare a meal. And dare I say, he immediately shows hospitality to his lost son with great joy and thanksgiving in his heart. So let me give you, I started to tell you, I'm going to give you a definition for hospitality. I think I gave you a short one, but I'm going to give you a meaty one. Here it is. Biblical hospitality is the God-ordained responsibility of every Christian toward others to joyfully welcome them into the care of your life and home as a reproduction of the love of God. Biblical hospitality is the God-ordained responsibility of every Christian toward others to joyfully welcome them into the care of your life and home as a reproduction, read, imitation of the love of God. That's biblical hospitality. Say it one more time. The God-ordained responsibility of every Christian toward others to joyfully welcome them into the care of your life and home as a reproduction or imitation of the love of God. Biblical hospitality then, we see it in this text and in the context, I'm trying to help you to understand that biblical hospitality is an extension of love, which is why he says it in the context of above all, have earnest love for one another. 
which is an extension of love, which really is based on the nature and character of God. That's the standard. God is the standard, not some cultural standard. God is the standard. That's the definition of biblical hospitality. All right? The God-ordained responsibility of every Christian toward others to joyfully welcome them into the care of your life and home as a reproduction of the love of God. What are the objectives? What are we hoping to accomplish in biblical hospitality? Uh, I want you to remember that you're thinking here, in this text again, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, it's an extension of love. In other words, it's a fruit of love. So let's think of some biblically assigned objectives for this love or biblically identified objectives for Christian or biblical hospitality in this context, which is, again, the summarizing is, is turning strangers into guests. Peter's speaking of a specific application in terms of this being done within the Christian community. And so let me give you some objectives for that biblical hospitality within the Christian community. Six objectives, and I'll try to give them quickly. Number one, it is a testimony of our Christian discipleship. A testimony of our Christian discipleship. The aim or the objective of biblical hospitality is to provide a testimony of Christian discipleship. What do I mean? Remember this, John 13, 35. What did Jesus say? By this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is our love for one another. Again, hospitality is rooted in love. So it is our love for one another by which people ascertain something about us. Namely, that we are followers of Jesus Christ. I was really helped this week by a book by Francis Schaeffer. It's a really small book. You can get it on Audible, I think, for free. Uh, the Mark of the Christian. Listen to it in an hour. And don't even have to read it. Just listen to it. And I'd recommend it to you. Here's what Schaeffer said in that book. The church is to be a loving church in a dying culture. How then is the dying culture going to consider us? Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the midst of the world, in the midst of our present dying culture, Jesus is giving a right to the world. Upon his authority, he gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born again Christians on the basis of our observable love toward other Christians. Hospitality has the aim of of providing a testimony of our Christian discipleship. One of the extensions of love is biblical hospitality demonstrated towards other believers, and that is a telltale sign to a watching world of our relationship to Jesus Christ. Not just that we practice biblical hospitality, but how. Okay? That's, that's, that's objective number one. Objective number two as a witness to the love of God in Christ. As a witness to the love of God in Christ. Think about the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And I'm not rushing, but I'm trying to give it to you quickly. John 17, 20 and 21. Listen to what Jesus said. John 17, 20 and 21. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, objective, the world may believe that you have sent me. 
With the first objective, we're saying that the world ascertains something about us, namely our Christian testimony through biblical hospitality. With the second objective, we're understanding that the world ascertains something about God, namely that He sent the Son. I'm thinking here that our love for another brother or sister in Christ is a visible demonstration of the unity for which the Lord prayed. Certainly that's the case in biblical hospitality. What more demonstrates the oneness that we have in Christ than when you open your life and home to care for another? And and the Bible says, Jesus said, somebody else is going to ascertain something about me. Namely, that I am a God who sends, who goes into, who enters into life. The objective of biblical hospitality is to provide a witness that the Father sent the Son into the world to redeem and rescue men and women from their sin. Which leads us to the third objective. The third objective of biblical hospitality is this, to provide a headquarters for the spread of the gospel. To provide a headquarters for the spread of the gospel. It is natural because of those first two that the hospitality which is a testimony of our Christian discipleship and a witness of the love of God in Christ would be further intended as a base of operations for the spread of the gospel. And I get this from the Apostle John, the aged Apostle John in 2 John. He's speaking to this woman and he's giving her instructions, this dear Christian sister And he's giving her instructions on whom she should receive into her home. And he instructs her not to receive those who come with a false gospel. He's talking about false teachers here. He's not just talking about the -the run-of-the-mill sinner. He's talking about the, the person who comes as a teacher. Don't receive them into your home. Don't even greet them. Don't be a base of operations for them to, to ply their awful trade. But instead... Because why? He said, because if you do that, you partake in their wickedness. The opposite is also true. When you invite true teachers into your home, you become a base of operations such that you become a partaker with them in their work. So that it's not so much the church building as the base of operations for the gospel. It's all these little godly outposts in your homes and in your life that becomes the center for hospitality such that the gospel is, it's a headquarters for the gospel. It's the base of operation for the gospel to go into all the world. You should view your hospitality as a headquarters for the spread of the gospel. Number four, the fourth objective, is hospitality is is viewed as a workshop or a laboratory for the practice of spiritual gifts a workshop or a laboratory for the practice of spiritual gifts. Again, using the context of 1 Peter 4, it's interesting to me to see the tight connection in this passage. Biblical love, hospitality, and that's tied right to this next, the next phrase in which he talks about serving one another. So it'd be like Peter saying this, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins, hospitable to one another without grumbling just as each has received a gift use it to serve one another there's a connection here the connection is is love and serving and it's joined together by this issue of love that is namely hospitality 
And what I mean is this. I hope that our way of thinking is going to be changed in t- today and in the coming weeks of months. I would love if we could no longer look at the church building as the central grounds for the practice of the spiritual gifts with the home as sort of a doggy bag for the leftovers. Rather, seeing the home as the primary field of play in which spiritual gifts are in operation and then the church grounds as the overflow of that rich and lavish table of spiritual gifts that have already been spread and partaken in in the home. In other words, using hospitality to stir up others to the practice of spiritual gifts. Francis Schaeffer's wife uh, said this. Her name is uh, Edith. Food cannot take care of spiritual, psychological, and emotional problems, but the feeling of being loved and cared for, the actual comfort of the beauty and flavor of food, the increase of blood sugar and physical well-being help one to go on during the next hours better equipped to meet the problems. I experienced this, we experienced this in these last weeks with the the sickness and, and ultimate passing of Grandma Betty where we're still getting cards today, still getting texts today. We still have food in our freezer today, praise the Lord, uh, from people who provided for us. I talked with, with uh, Isaac, and you just had to put your dog down. And what did you say? Immediately you got phone calls and texts from the church. What is that? Is it all about, what is that about? It's about stirring us up, not just to be nice, but it, you know what it does? It fuels the fire. Isn't that what you told me, Isaac? It fuels your fire to serve others in a greater way than ever before. It doesn't just make you feel nice and, and ushy-gushy. It does that, but it's more than that. So seeking to use your hospitality as a way to stir others up to love and good works. That's the purpose. That's an objective of hospitality. It's not just providing a pizza. Let's get these people fed so we can get them out of here. It's not that. It's about stirring up the the gift that is in each of us. Look at those girls looking at me. Wow. That's great. Number next. Objective. As a means to glorify God. The intention of our hospitality is to glorify God. (laughs) That is to allow the character and nature of God to be revealed through our lives so that my efforts in hospitality is not so much so that others would see something about my home or my life. That's such a lie. We've, We've believed that we have to impress people with whether or not our carpet is clean or new. Oh, look, vacuum, okay, fine. But you don't have to impress anybody, right? Because it's a means to glorify God, to shine the light on, on a character of God, which is why we're saying love is, love is the character of God. And my love expressed through biblical hospitality just reflects that character in such a way that people partake of it and say, God is love. It's not something about seeing my home or my life or my riches or my goodness, but something about Him Number six, objective. It is an opportunity to receive the blessing of God. 
an opportunity to receive the blessing of God. I know we're moving quickly, but do you remember what what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13? Do not neglect to show hospitality, for by doing so, uh, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now what's that mean? The writer of Hebrews has something in mind. He's referring to what took place back in Genesis 18 with Abraham. That is a great text on hospitality. Abraham received three guests, three messengers from the Lord. There was every reason for Abraham to ignore or neglect hospitality that day. In the context, it was the heat of the day. What do you do in the heat of the day in that culture? We would call it siesta. It's time for nap. But there's an even greater reason for him to neglect hospitality. Because he and all the males of his camp were just circumcised. And he's in the heat of the day, he's sitting at the tent. And he looks up out of nowhere. These three guys appear to him. He could have said, it's a very inconvenient time for you to be here. It's hot. And I hurt. But he jumped up. He asked them to wait. He, my favorite verse in the Bible right now. He runs to Sarah's wife and he says, Quick, make something. <laughs> I, I was imagining myself doing that. Woman, make some bread. <laughs> anyway. Quick, get lots of flour and start kneading dough. And then he says to his servants, go and prepare some meat, which means go and kill something. This is taking time and it's costing money. And yet he prepares, they they prepare this food and he stands by them while they eat. The point is this, when we are hospitable, It is a means by which we receive a blessing from God. Abraham got a message from God that day, not only regarding his son Isaac, but regarding what was going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, when you reach out to the least of these, it's like you've reached out to me, myself. Hospitality is an opportunity for blessing that you neglect. You neglect the blessing of God when you neglect hospitality. So, The objectives, one, as a testimony of our Christian discipleship, two, as a witness to the love of God in Christ, three, as a headquarters for the spread of the gospel, four, as a workshop for the practice of spiritual gifts, five, as a means to glorify God, six, as an opportunity for receiving the blessing of God. Let me close by giving you some instructions for hospitality. Some instructions. Romans 12, 13 says this, seek hospitality. Pursue it. Hebrews 13 gives the opposite. Don't neglect it. So the instruction here is to pursue hospitality. To seek opportunities to practice it. It's it's not something... Hospitality is not something that's just going to fall in your lap. Hospitality has to be pursued. You've got to work for it. 
There is effort that's required in Christian responsibility in this Christian responsibility, and you are accountable for this, so accountable that God actually gives warnings about it. Seek hospitality, don't neglect it. And the indication in that he in Hebrews 13 passage is this: it's like him saying, Stop neglecting it. Well, why would people neglect hospitality? Well, for some of the reasons I said in the first place. It's inconvenient. It's costly. Maybe you're trying to ignore your relationship with God. Maybe you have just some wrong thinking. You've been been pushed into the world's way of thinking instead of thinking the way that God says to think. And what needs to happen is we need to reorient. What Paul says in Romans 12 is that we need to not be conformed to the way of this thinking, but we need to renew our minds. That means to conform to the to the the revelation of God. And there's another warning, and that's given in our text in 1 Peter chapter 4, and that is not only stop neglecting it, but but stop grumbling about it. Now, why would he say stop grumbling about it? Probably because people were what? Grumbling. Has that ever happened with you? Somebody comes in, and then they leave, and you say to your wife, I thought they'd never leave. You know, this, this idea of grumbling is the idea of criticizing someone else. And let's be real, you might want to criticize them because they hurt you in some way, because they sinned against you in some way, but hospitality is not a manifestation of your grace, it is a manifestation of His grace. Love covers a multitude of sin. And so it's an opportunity for forgiveness to be seen and tangible and real. So stop neglecting it and stop grumbling about it and instead pursue it, which is very uncomfortable in many ways, especially within the church family and and difficult. For in many ways in a church family, I've heard so many people in these last months say, how in the world am I supposed to be hospitable? There's so many people here I don't know. And the church is growing and I can't get to know everyone and I, can't to, I, can't, I, I don't understand how to practice this. I want you to understand something. Listen to this. As with any other Christian virtue, hospitality is a team effort. So that means that it's not up to me alone to be hospitable, though that's one of the qualifications for being an elder. It is up to us together to be hospitable. The way that you do this in a growing church is for the growing church to be hospitable. Yeah, granted, you're not going to be able to get to every person. You're not going to be able to have every person into your home. You're not going to be able to send a card to everyone or or make a call or whatever it is. But you have opportunities to express and demonstrate the love of God in Christ within your sphere of influence on a regular basis. So can you make room in your life? You have to ask yourself the question, do I have room in my life for this joyful Christian welcome? That's a way of saying, check out your schedule. Busyness is ruining the church. Check out your schedule. Busyness is ruining the church. If you are too busy for hospitality, you are what? Too 
busy. We're going to have to start weeding. Weeding. The unnecessary for the necessary because we've, we're shifting our thinking according to the Scriptures, not according to the world. Don't get the idea that hospitality is supposed to be easy. Don't be, get the idea that hospitality is supposed to fit in whenever you can. It's supposed to be inconvenient. It's supposed to be costly. That's the way God ordained it. Make room in your life. It's a team effort. We're all in this together. That means because there's not one person, we're not going to pull out these people and say, okay, all of these people are the hospitable ones. Everyone else, you're the ta- you know, these are the givers, you're the takers. That's not the way it is. We're all the givers, and so it's all of our responsibility. If you're a Christian, this is your responsibility, so get with it. And I'm saying that with as much love and tenderness as, as possible. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I know that some of you, many of you are introverted. I do not do well in social settings. I would rather speak to 10,000 people than one. I'm basically an awkward person who likes to make dad jokes and make everybody else uncomfortable. (laughs) I I, I do not gravitate towards social things. But it's not an issue of what I'm comfortable with. It's an issue of what we're called to. And listen, you don't become a hospitality hero overnight. It's something that has to be cultivated. Like any other virtue, it's something that has to be cultivated. You've got to grow in this. Allow room for maturity. Don't think, well, I can't arrive at whatever level of perfection. You know, we've got some wonderful, hospitable people in this church. Some amazing hosts and hostesses, mainly hostesses. All hostesses. (laughs) But don't think, well, I can't be like Christina Maiosi. I can't be like Drenee Frem. I can't be like Joni Fout. I can't be like Judy Fout. Don't think like that. Just be who God has called you to be where you are right now and learn to cultivate that. And if you're uncomfortable having people into your home, start small. Start with sending a card to someone. Start by hearing, oh my goodness, this person just lost their dog or or some other thing, and send a card, or call, or take a meal. Just get, begin to foster and cultivate that heart of care. And that will begin to grow and blossom in various areas in your life, such that somebody will begin to say, they have a God who is really awesome. Because look at what it's doing to their life. And that's the point of First Peter. it's about proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I have prepared, uh, a couple of years ago, I did a a sheet on 30 ways to be hospitable. I've updated that, and now it's 33 ways to be hospitable. (laughs) And (laughs) it's available on the tables out here. Pick those up. Think about those ways and let's begin to apply that so that we do all to the glory of God. Let's pray. 